0: Galatians 5 verses 1 to 15, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying that truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. So, I think that learning where words come from is kind of fascinating. This is the study of etymology. Etymon, meaning the origin of a word in Latin. So, there, we've just done some etymology. Here are some of my favorite examples of etymology. The word vaccine comes from the Latin for cow, vacca. Here's why. It's named after a cow because the first vaccine was developed by a British doctor named Edward Jenner around the turn of the 19th century. And Jenner observed some milkmaids who had contracted cowpox, and he saw that those milkmaids were less likely to then contract smallpox, which was a much more devastating disease. So Jenner, experimented in a big way by taking some of the pus from a woman's cowpox lesion and put it into a cut that he made on the arm of an eight-year-old boy, and then introduced that boy to smallpox. And he discovered that the boy was protected from smallpox. Thus, he created the first vaccine, and we have used this cow-related word to describe these preventative measures ever since. The word orangutan comes from the Malay language, from orang and utan, which literally means man of the woods. Uh, The word astronaut comes from the Greek astron and natas, and it literally translates to star sailor, which I think is great. And the word gerrymandering comes from a combination of Governor Elbridge Gerry and a salamander. The story goes that, under this governor's leadership uh, in the early 19th century, a rather oddly-shaped district line appeared in Massachusetts, which some claimed looked like a salamander. And in 1812, a man named Elkana Tisdale drew a satirical comic of this district for the Boston Gazette, and he captioned his drawing, The Gerrymander. And we have used the word gerrymandering to describe strategically drawing district lines ever since. Etymology helps us understand where words come from and what they were intended to mean. And etymology can also help us understand theological concepts, like the relationship between grace and good works. This morning, we are turning our attention to sola gratia or grace alone and I know you are probably thinking Laura haven't we been talking about grace for weeks now and you're not wrong we have because it is really the thing that Paul has been talking about so far in this letter to the Galatians. In fact, I approached this sermon series with a little bit of trepidation because, upon first reading through this letter to the Galatians, I wasn't sure how we were going to get six sermons out of it. Paul just keeps saying the same thing You are saved by grace. Those who receive God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ are heirs to the covenant, circumcised or not. That's it, that's the message. That's the thing he wants the Galatians to be crystal clear on. Scott Jose says that most of the book of Galatians can be summed up through a subtle reversal of a traditional saying don't just do something, stand there. It's not up to you, Paul keeps saying. You don't have to do anything. Just stand there and accept the gift that has been given to you. And here at the beginning of chapter 5, he really drives that home. You were slaves to the law, he says. Helpless under the weight of guilt and shame that the law placed on your shoulders. But then Christ set you free. And newsflash... He set you free for freedom. So don't let yourselves become slaves to the law again by now saying that you have to be circumcised. Just stand there and receive the grace that God has given you. But then, then in verse 13, Paul takes a bit of a turn. Yes. You were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Or, in other words, don't just stand there, do something. Which feels like a bit of an about face, doesn't it? Well, one of the tricky things about grace is that we can take it too far. When we hear grace preached over and over and over again, when Paul is drilling it into our heads with almost every sentence of this letter, we can start to think, well, grace is all that matters. And if grace is all that there is, then it doesn't really matter what I do, right? I am covered by grace. If we're saved by grace, the law no longer matters. That rather seems to be what Paul is saying, doesn't it? Well, this is exactly what Martin Luther was accused of 500 years ago. As he developed and promoted his theology of grace alone through faith alone, people started to attack this theology as being a rejection of God's moral law. They claimed that Luther was just throwing out the Ten Commandments, even throwing out the whole Old Testament. So Luther goes on the defense by playing offense. He categorically rejects the idea of throwing out God's law, of saying that the law is unimportant. And he calls this interpretation of grace antinomianism. It's more etymology. Nomos means law in Greek. So, antinomianism, against the law. Being saved by grace alone through faith alone, he says, doesn't lead to a rejection of how God has called us to live. In fact, it's the exact opposite. In his German translation of the Bible, Luther writes of saving faith in the introduction to the book of Romans. And he says... This faith is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever thus it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. Do we do good works in order to be saved? Paul and Luther are adamant. No, but should the knowledge that we are saved by grace prompt us to do good works? Paul and Luther are equally as adamant. Of course. Here's how the Belgic Confession puts it in Article 24. We believe that this true faith, produced in us by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerates us and makes us new creatures, causing us to live a new life and freeing us from the slavery of sin. It is impossible For this holy faith to be unfruitful in a human being, seeing that we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what scripture calls faith working through love, which moves people to do by themselves the works that God has commanded in the word. Faith compels us to do good works, to live in faithful obedience to God, following his commandments, his instructions for what the good life looks like. Because if we have true faith, if we really believe that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, and therefore we have been adopted into the family of God and our heirs to the kingdom, then how could we possibly do anything other than pledge our whole lives to God and God's will, seeking to honor God and thank God with everything that we do? This is where etymology comes back into things. The word for grace in Greek is charis. The word for thankfulness is eucharis. And the word for gifts of grace or gifts of the Spirit is charismata. Charis leads to eucharis which leads to charismata. Grace leads to gratitude, which leads to an outpouring of that grace in everything that we do. Here's an illustration that helps us think about what this looks like. A couple months after I moved from Grand Rapids, 45 minutes up the road to Grand Haven, I was driving home at about 10 o'clock at night from an event in Grand Rapids. And I was about 10 minutes from home, driving down the main street, when a cop car pulled out of a parking lot behind me and put its lights on. I was on a road that comes off of a highway and then goes steadily into this small village, so the speed limit decreases pretty steadily. So I knew that cops planted themselves in this spot. I had heard tell, waiting to nab people. But when I looked immediately at my speedometer, I confirmed that I was not, in fact, speeding. So, I was a little confused and nervous as I pulled to the side of the road. And as I handed the officer my license and registration, he asked, are you aware that your license plate light is out? (laughs) That's not a thing I normally see, so no, I was not aware. (laughs) Then he asked, where are you headed? Home, I said. Where are you coming from? Grand Rapids, I said and he looks at my driver's license. Well, your driver's license says that home is Grand Rapids. Double whammy. I just moved, I told him, and I haven't updated my driver's license yet. And maybe he could tell that I was really nervous. Maybe he was feeling generous. Maybe it's not actually that big of a deal. But he said, look, I'm not going to give you a ticket for this. Just go get your license plate light changed ASAP and update the address on your driver's license, okay? Have a good night. I went to Home Depot and the Secretary of State at 8 o'clock AM the next day. And honestly, I think I know that I acted as quickly as I did to resolve this problem because I was just so thankful that I had not gotten a ticket. I still would have made the changes had I gotten a ticket, but I would have been pretty grumbly about it. And I probably would have dragged my feet a bit in protest. But I was grateful that this police officer had given me a chance, and I wanted to show that I was not going to squander that chance, even if I knew I would never see that police officer again. I was motivated by gratitude and I was grateful for the grace he had shown me. I was responding to grace. Grace leads to gratitude, which leads to good works. This is essentially how the Heidelberg Catechism was laid out. Guilt, grace, gratitude, or sin, salvation, service. All of which shows that Justification, our being made right with God, isn't just a thing that happens once and then we can forget about it. We can't just say, well, we're saved by grace, so we can do whatever we want and we'll just apologize for it later. Justification calls us into something. True faith calls us to respond. But our response, of course, is possible only because of God's grace to us in the first place. Here's how the Belgic Confession continues. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable to God, since they are all sanctified by God's grace. Yet they do not count toward our justification, for by faith in Christ we are justified, even before we do good works. Otherwise, they could not be good any more than the fruit of a tree could be good if the tree is not good in the first place. We are compelled to do good works because our faith moves us to do that which is good. We are able to do good works because God is at work within us and everything that comes from God is good. C.S. Lewis provides us an illustration to help us make sense of this. A six-year-old boy goes to his father one day and says, Daddy, can I have $5 to buy you a present? The father says, of course you can, and pulls out $5 from his wallet and hands it to his son. Later the child comes back to the father and hands him the gift that he bought him. And the father is of course thrilled with the gift and gives his son a big hug thanking him and praising this child for his generosity and thoughtfulness. Of course, says Lewis, only a fool would conclude that the father had come out 5 dollars ahead in this deal. Jose interprets Lewis's parable this way. We don't bring to God anything that God has not already given to us. But he is as thrilled as he can be when we bring to him the gifts of our spiritual fruit. And as loving children, it just thrills us to offer these and to receive God's love again and again and again. God's grace Charis leads to our gratitude, Eucharist, which leads to the gifts of grace, Charismata. And what exactly do those good works look like? Well, we're going to get into some of the specifics next week when we look at the fruit of the Spirit as we continue in chapter 5. But Paul shows us where he's heading already in verses 13 to 14 by using some etymological wordplay that leads us into something of a paradox. In verse 1, Paul said, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The word slavery is douleia in Greek. It comes from the root word doulos. And in verse 13, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And the word for serve, duleo, literally, become a slave to. We are freed from slavery to the law so that we might become slaves to one another. English translations soften this down. They use the word serve, indicating that this is a voluntary giving of ourselves. But the idea Paul has here is a pretty strong one. We are to love one another so fiercely that we are prepared to give ourselves to each other in an almost slavish devotion, as if we could do nothing else but serve one another. And this, says Paul, is really the entirety of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are freed from slavery to the law so that we might keep the law, serving one another in love. And it is in this, by living in love, that we show gratitude to God for the grace he has given us. And it's in loving God, in loving others, that we discover the love of God. In the novel The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, a priest by the name of Father Zosima compares active love, real active love, with the kind of love that we have grand dreams about. Active love, he says, is a harsh and fearful thing compared to love in dreams because active love is labor and perseverance. And he tells the woman that he's talking to that such love often feels impossible because we are all too aware of our own impatience, our sinfulness, and our selfishness. Then Father Zosima says this, I predict that even in that very moment when you see with horror that despite all of your efforts, you not only have come nearer your goal of perfectly loving others, but seem to have gotten farther from it at that very moment, I predict this to you, you will suddenly reach your goal and will clearly behold over you the wonder-working power of the Lord who all the while has been loving you and all the while has been mysteriously guiding you. In our own moment of failure, we behold the immense faithfulness of God. Grace leads to gratitude, leads to good works. But perhaps we can also say, in our striving to do good, in our charismata, we become all the more aware of the grace of God that is sustaining us, that sustains the whole world. Do you pray with me? Good and gracious God, thank you for this gift of grace. Thank you for the freedom we have in you Freedom from our shame and our guilt and the fear that we can never be enough. We are so grateful, God. And we pray that you would turn that gratitude into a response of faithfulness and obedience. As we receive your love, help us in turn to love those around us. May we lay down our lives to serve the other, just as you laid down your life for us. May the whole world come to know and live in your grace, O God. We pray this in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.